The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Issues that dominate America. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back to State of the Nation uh, with Steve Hook. That's me and, of course, Brian hesher McLean. Uh, hour number two. That was a big, a big hour we just got to. I enjoyed that. How about you, Hesher? You doing well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I had so many questions for Roger Stone. You know, you can only cram so much into a I short mean, interview like that. So I'm looking forward to speaking with him again. But I really enjoyed watching the Stone Zone this morning while getting ready for the show. Uh, he does have some great insights, Steve. Yeah, he's he's a trip. He's been around forever. He's the uh, ultimate uh, insider. Uh, and he's a good guy to know. I had him on, um, goodness, years ago. It was right after he got raided. And he walked me through how that went down. I think it was like I think it was on my old show about two weeks after that. It went down at his home in Coconut Grove in Florida, and uh, it was harrowing, man, what they did to that guy. Absolutely, but he's a, he's a wonderful guest, and he'll talk forever. I mean, he'll just go on and on. So, well, uh, so, you know, so here's that's the in, here's one of the yeah, absolutely, and here's one of the interesting things that we didn't get to talk about with him. You know, you and I have been wondering what is going on with Mayor Adams, the investigation by the FBI on his campaign. And uh, I guess I'll take the opportunity right now to sort of outline um, what Roger's thoughts are on that. Uh, You know, he he basically said that um, he does not believe that it was politically motivated, uh, the investigation. Um, but he points out that Mayor Adams is in some political and legal trouble, perhaps. And um, the issue with his chief political consultant uh, may have been spurred by a previous straw donor investigation into six donors associated with Adams who allegedly gave fake donations. And these donations get matched, I believe, by uh, the DNC or some sort of maybe the uh, probably New the York DNC. DNC. Yeah, or the New York uh, Democrats. I'm not sure, but. Um, that that became an issue. And, um, you know, Adams hasn't been indicted or charged with a crime at this point. He's cooperating with the investigation. And Brianna Suggs, this is the interesting part that he mentioned, hours before the FBI stormed Brianna Suggs' uh, place, and she's the p- chief political consultant for Adams, or was, um, she was given a wellness check by the NYPD. And Roger thinks that there's a potential that that might have been a heads up that she was about to be raided. So, uh, and there was also, a, um, I believe from NYPD also, a tactical surveillance team that visited her home just hours before the bust. So uh, this is all very interesting. One has to wonder uh, what NYPD's role is in all this. Were they actually giving her a bit of a warning? And Steve, compare that to the way Roger Stone was treated when he got raided. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Um. Yeah, we had speculated that perhaps this was payback for Adams coming down so hard on Biden about immigration. Well, that's going to if he starts doing that kind of tit for tat move, he's going to have to slam down on a lot of people because this is not going well in most cities. But I think Roger Stone is on to something here. I think that if, if, if you're giving fake donations or the appearance that you gave a donation simply to get a matching donation, well, that's going to take a lot of people off. And it is weird that the that the NYPD would swing by uh, Brianna Sugg's house, uh, you know, for a, a wellness check. Sure, yeah, we got you. Yeah, we just want to make sure you're doing fine. Yeah, we just want to make sure you're doing. 
Yeah. Hey, Brianna, do yourself a favor and pull a Hillary here and start, you know, s- smashing your blackberries. And, and, and you have a metal shredder. We need to get this hard drive through there real quick. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> right. They show up. They could just see it now, Steve. They show up with a metal shredder, a giant magnet and some hammers. They, here you go. FBI will be here in an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're just here for a wellness jacket. Take this sledge. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) purely speculative political game theory there. But one really has to wonder. And that's kind of what Roger's wondering, too, after watching Stone Zone from yesterday. You know what? I'm also uh, speaking of New York. I love this story that you've posted about Letitia James uh, going after PepsiCo uh, for plastic pollution along the Buffalo River. I mean, good God, man. Yeah, you Ruckus know, like, is going to be joining us to talk about that in a moment. And it's, it's I mean, really, I mean, this person, this uh, Letitia James, this I guess is this is just, what you get when you take someone's uh, whole campaign is just to get Trump. I mean, I guess get Pepsi oh, should have been on the list, too. <laughs> That's right. She is just such a piece of work. Yeah, Goodness absolutely gracious. amazing. Yeah. Well, hey, if you're enjoying listening to TNT Radio and you think we're doing a good job, then please let us know. Leave us a like or a positive review on Facebook, Gabrigator. Help, help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Real political talk. Party politics is killing our government. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. New York Attorney General Letitia James has filed a lawsuit against food and beverage giant PepsiCo, accusing the company of harming the public and in the environment with its single-use plastic packaging. Joining us once again is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark. Ruckus, uh, what's the details on this? Uh, Doesn't this person have better things to do, or is this really a public and environmental catastrophe she's addressing? I don't don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but maybe she owns a a heavy amount of stock in Coca-Cola. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. Just kidding. Who knows uh, why this one company in particular? Well, perhaps there might be a reason. Um, This is very strange, but uh, I guess it's 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 Pepsi's fault. It's it's all it's all their fault. They're contributing to a disproportionate amount of pollution in the Buffalo River. Yep. Just Pepsi. Like, uh, so I I don't know what's going on here, Uh, but (laughs) Miss James's office announced the, quote, historic and groundbreaking, end quote, lawsuit uh, yesterday. Yeah, Wednesday, November 15th, uh, in a statement uh, after PepsiCo's single use plastics were allegedly found floating along the Buffalo River uh, that the lawsuit was filed in, um, I think it's Erie County in, in Buffalo, uh, New York. It lists PepsiCo and its subsidiaries, Frito-Lay Inc. and Frito-Lay North America Inc. as defendants. It states that Miss James's office found that single-use plastic, including beverage bottles, bottle caps, and snack food wrappers produced by the beverage corporation, quote, contributes significantly, end quote, to high levels of plastic pollution found along the Buffalo River, which empties into Lake Erie, and that such pollution is contaminating drinking water and harming wildlife. According to the lawsuit, Miss James's office conducted a survey of all types of waste collected at 13 sites along the Buffalo River and its tributaries in 2022. I don't want to know what some of that waste was personally. Officials with her office collected a total of 1,916 pieces of plastic trash with an identifiable brand. 
of which 328, or 17.1%, were produced by PepsiCo, meaning it far exceeded any other source of the identifiable plastic waste found along the river and was three times more abundant than the next highest contributor. Interestingly enough, I don't think it says who that was. Uh, Quote, year after year, plastic packaging amasses on the shores of the Buffalo River. Single-use plastic beverages, bottles, bottle caps, and snack food wrappers of the type manufactured, distributed, and sold by PepsiCo are collectively the most abundant forms of plastic waste along the shores of the Buffalo River, and PepsiCo is the single largest identifiable contributor to this plastic waste. That is according to the lawsuit. Um, I think it further goes on to say, quote, because plastic does not biodegrade in the environment, but rather fragments into smaller and smaller pieces known as microplastic or nanoplastic, PepsiCo's plastic packaging pollutes the land and the river itself. PepsiCo's plastic packaging contaminates the river and public drinking water supplies, threatening public health, harming freshwater species and endangering the ecosystem. Uh, Quote, in all its forms, this plastic pollution interferes with the public's use and enjoyment of the Buffalo River and its environs and adversely affects the aesthetic value of the river and its shoreline, end quote. Uh, Ms. James's office further alleges that PepsiCo has failed to abate the harm or warn the public about the potential health and environmental risks of its single-use plastic packaging, and that it misleads consumers and the public about its efforts to combat plastic pollution while simultaneously increasing its production and sale of said single-use plastic packaging. PepsiCo produces and packages at least 85 different beverage brands and 25 snack food brands, and mostly come in the offending single-use plastic containers, according to Ms. James's office. Um, so yeah, uh, this is pretty wild stuff. Um, again, I, I mean, is Pepsi necessarily at fault? Did Maybe they just did something so well. I mean, like, I bet you the marketing department is happy to hear this. So like, look at that. Our stuff was thrown away, floated down the river, ended up God knows where, but you can still read the brand logo on it. It's still advertising. Any type of advertising is good advertising for these companies. But um, yeah, maybe maybe in the future they're gonna they're gonna make it to where the, the labels just wash away when it gets wet just to avoid trouble. What do you guys think? <laughs> I, it, it, you know, I, I tell you, it sounds like a shakedown to me. Um I I find the whole thing absurd. Uh why don't you uh why don't you do a better job of picking up the damn trash? I mean, these people would—they would put us—they would put every company out of business if they—if they figured there's a buck in it for them. I mean, what is Pepsi sell that much greater than Coca-Cola? What about Snapple? Where do they come down on this? I mean, I know a lot of people up here drink Snapple. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Hesher? Well, Snapple's owned by Coca-Cola, if I recall. So you could combine those into one figure. And if you actually look at the Coca-Cola beverage company, they own all kinds of beverages. I mean, they're like, you know, like an Anheuser-Busch level company. They have lots and lots of properties uh, under their umbrella. but yeah, I agree with you, Steve. It's uh, this. This is seems like a a bit of a witch hunt, if you will. Like they had maybe they had some some grant money to spend for uh, quote unquote ecological purposes, perhaps. Um, 
I, I don't know, but this is one of those stories where it just makes me go, are you kidding? Are you really kidding us right now? On the federal yeah. level, uh, in Flint, they still don't have drinkable water in Flint, Michigan. It, East Palestine, uh, their yeah. property values are all zero now, and their their water table is polluted also. Uh, in, in Lahaina, uh, on Maui, it's yeah. gone. It has burned to the ground it's gone we never hear anything about these places and then you mentioned the hudson river also uh all of a sudden we care about the hudson river i mean uh <laughs> that is like somewhere you can't fish you can't swim i mean i know it's gotten a little bit better over the years but because of the that yeah, depends on where you are on the hudson you go you, you go up towards the finger lake regions it's pretty clean but yeah around the city yeah I, it, it, it sounds to me like Letitia james went out for a day and she saw a couple of bottles floating in the river and said, I got a brilliant idea. I'm going to sue PepsiCo. Uh, it's just, a, I just find the whole thing. It's, and when you bring up East Palestine and Flint and stuff like that, there you go. Uh, that, 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 that's something that, uh, that should be addressed, but suing a beverage company to, to what end to get them to, are we going to get them all back in, uh, in, in glass now or, trying to ban single-use plastic. I mean, here, I don't know if you guys get bags where you are in Texas, but when I go to a grocery store here in New Jersey, I have to take my own bags with me because they don't allow paper or plastic bags to be given out. And now it looks like they're going after plastic single-use drink containers too. So doesn't shock me, but... I got an idea. Uh, Maybe she should sue 3M right? I want to know how many N95 masks can be found in this water supply. Last I checked for stats on that, N95 masks were destroying waterways all over the world, the world, because they did a worldwide psyop on us and told us we had to mask up. And then everybody started buying all of those and they're discarded in parking lots. They're discarded left and right. They're blowing down the streets. They're floating down rivers. They're showing up in the oceans. So, you know, the, don't come to me with this whole Pepsi thing. Uh, if you're going to go after someone, go after the federal government for mandating masks, first of all. And then if you want to go after a company, maybe look at 3M. There you go. Good point. Good point. Ruckus. Yeah, Ruckus, don't, what do you, you think? Stole, I was going to... You stole my, yeah, that's what I was going to say was, what about the dang masks? <laughs> um, I did find a, a a small amount of a breakdown of the other identifiable brands that were polluting the Buffalo River. Maybe I mean, I, I don't, yeah, it doesn't say it was the Hudson, but maybe that's somehow related. But um, the, uh, well, I do know the Niagara flows downstream from the Buffalo River. Uh, let's see. So we've got... Um, so remember, PepsiCo's products accounted for 17.1% of the waste products. It says here, uh, next in line, it looks like, but I guess I can see what they're saying here. I mean, it's nowhere near close to the 17%, but the next one is 5.7% for, drum roll please, billions and billions served at McDonald's. Uh, <laughs> and then below that, the Hershey Company at 4.2%. And uh, here's your Coca-Cola, gentlemen, 3.8%. So oh. yeah, I guess... PepsiCo did kind of beat uh, all of those combined. That's pretty interesting. 
Uh, so maybe weird. maybe I it's mean, just it's preference. Maybe maybe Pepsi just does a, a very good job. Uh, maybe PepsiCo owns New York in that area. That's why there's more of it. I don't know. Yeah. Well, who knows? Crazy yeah, story. Yeah. Sounds like it a shake down. Yeah, it really does, Steve. Uh, it, it's it's a story, but it's almost a non-story at the same time when you compare it to actual ecological disasters that we're having here, like whales, like dozens of whales being killed by wind farm factories. Yeah, it's and, not Pepsi. Five bottles killing them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right, Ruckus, thanks. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Joe Hoft. We're in a situation like never before in world history. We've been through world wars, but what we're seeing now is just amazing. We've either got communism where it's just the government. The government runs things and that's just the way it is. Your soul is gone. It's diminished. There's nothing else. And or uh, fascism where you have the government working with big industry, which seems to be the modern that's being pushed on the, the West um, really by all these guys that are in the EU and, and World Economic Forum. They all have connections to the uh, fascists from uh, the past, the Nazis in, in Germany. He, she mentioned to the guy, the head of Luxembourg, who used to be the head of uh, the EU, the guy who was drunk all the time. Huh? His family uh, were, were Nazis and they looted and stole booty from Jews during World War II and became wealthy. It's similar to the Soros family. These are the kind of people uh, that are continuing Continuing with their initiative to, to rule the world through fascism. Joe Hoft on TNT Radio. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's news talk, TNT Radio, should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. California Public Utilities Commission today is voting whether or not to accept PG&E's request to raise bills by up to 26%. They say the funds will go towards paying for a nearly $6 billion plan to bury 2,000 miles of power lines by 2026. I wonder, is this really something that should be done on the backs of Californians who have been suffering under PG&E's absurd rates and performance over the last decade or so? And joining us now, rejoining us now to discuss is California State Senator Brian Dolly. Uh, Brian, welcome back to the State of the Nation. Uh, what do you think about this? I mean, I saw some of your comments, and I think you and I and Steve are probably on the same page here. But coming out of California, we really want to get your take on this and hear what happened. Well, thanks for having me back, uh, Brian and Steve. It's always good to chat with you guys. Uh, yeah, I'm the vice chair of uh, the Energy Committee in the Senate, and um, I've been shouting from the rooftops for a long time about affordability, quite frankly, in California. And let's make no mistake, there's surely been some issues with, uh, you know, their performance, that's PG&E, on uh, keeping things safe. Uh, they burnt down communities like uh, Paradise, which I represent. Um, and we had the Tubbs fire. We've had lots of fires because of their lack of, quite frankly, taking care of the infrastructure that they were paid to take care of, number one. Uh, so they went into bankruptcy. That uh, is unfortunate. That gives them the opportunity to 
you know, uh, basically pick and choose the debtors that they want to um, pay for. But at the end of the day, um, these rate hikes have been coming all along. And the, the PUC, this has been my biggest contention, is they're appointed by the governor. They are appointed people. They're not elected. They're appointed. The, the Senate confirms them. I've taken issue with some of the appointments, and I want to make sure that California is actually getting something that they're paying for. That you, that's, that's the rate payers. Uh, what they've been paying for all along is uh, a system that is affordable, number one, and number two, uh, functions as it should. Uh, this uh, proposal that's at the PUC today uh, was punted last month. Uh, you know, they want to underground. Obviously, undergrounding is very safe, yes, but it's the most expensive at the same time. There are other options that um, even the PUC pointed out. Um, you can insulate the wire uh, as it's on the pole, and if a tree limb falls on it, it doesn't connect and doesn't allow it to, it's insulated. It, it doesn't spark and cause a fire. Uh, that's a lot more cost-effective way. There may be a few spots in California where we have severely high winds and we have, uh, you know, vegetation. Uh, we've done a lot of, uh, my work has been very much in the vegetation management because as the fire triangle is, most of us remember, you have to have oxygen, you have to have fuel, and you have to have ignition. The only one thing we can really take care of is the fuel. And that is, uh, you know, the forest, uh, most of the areas that where we have these fires, it starts in the forest or from, of vegetation. So I want to clear that forest out, uh, make it safe again, and uh, reduce the fire damage. But at the end of the day, um, our PUC has failed California. These companies are um, are very much uh, have a great lobby here in Sacramento. We're tied very close to uh, the politicians that run the run this place, which is the Democrat Party uh, and the governor. Uh, you know, they funded uh, the first lady's movies, and uh, you know they actually. They were, they were named in the credits. So um, I don't trust the PUC. Uh, I've been vocal about it. I think there's better ways to make uh, energy affordable in California, which we desperately need. Yeah. Um, hi, Senator Dolly. Thank you for joining us again. Um, I don't live in California, but I'm just, I was joking with uh, Brian earlier. I'm, I'm, I'm one level of hell above California. I'm in New Jersey, but we don't have these kinds of problems. But I do know you touched on something and you, and you were talking about forest management. Uh, uh, um, hasn't hasn't uh, the Sierra Club and other uh, greeny outfits out there in California kind of quashed any thought of of, of uh, doing actual forest management? Because God forbid there should be some spotted moth or something that that lives in the brush and we, we can't kill can't kill those. So we'll burn down Paradise, California. Um, well, I've I've actually uh, did a lot of legislation in my early years in the assembly, uh, and every single bill that I proposed, which was you know you have to do a timber harvest plan to thin on your own, own private land in California. So I did exemptions for that. The Sierra Club opposed every one of my bills, um, but I I took 127 legislators uh, in the 10 years I've been here to my district, uh, mo mainly Democrats, and educating them on if you thin a forest. Um, and the fire comes, it actually doesn't burn all the trees. It leaves, it leaves them alive. Uh, but, and it, nature naturally did that before we did the, the Smokey the Bear campaign. It thinned the forest grow uh, because we have had bad policies that the Sierra Club and many others of environmental groups don't want us to cut any trees. That's not nature. Nature is allowed to thin the forest. Um, so we have moved the ball, uh, but we're so far behind and we still get sued uh, on the national forest. So 60% of California is owned by the federal government. That's us, though. 
uh, but they manage it and they're they're not doing their job uh, as well as they could in managing these forests. And that's why we've seen these million acre fires like the Dixie fire, which was in my district just last two years ago. I want to make a point here that I think uh, for those environmentalists that are, that are listening, we talk about carbon. Uh, carbon is the is they, they think tailpipes make the most carbon. They don't actually. First fires in California emit more carbons than any other source. I did a bill to actually count. We don't count carbon from forest fires in our global warming uh, scenario. I did a bill two times. I, I carried the bill. It's tied in the committee both times to count the carbon from forest fire so that we can actually spend our money where the we're, we're causing ki- climate change. And at the same time, if you have a live forest, trees, remember fifth grade, when you breathe out, the trees breathe in. It's, it, it, they actually grow from, from what we breathe out. And a live force is sequestering carbon and a dead force is emitting carbon. So I've had those discussions here in Sacramento. Many, I will give credit to many of the Democrat legislators voted against the Sierra Club on my legislation that was passed in law, signed mainly by uh, Governor Brown, who understood what we were trying to do. So we have moved the ball, but the pace and scale that we need to be thinning these forests, and we can't just allow fire to go back in there. We have to go in and thin it first, then we can put fire back in. So that's where we are today. Um, unfortunately, we are uh, 80 years behind because we've been sequestering fire and suppressing fire in California for that long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up in that area and we did, you know, we had Cal fire. We'd see them during the summertime, but we would also see PG and E coming out and cutting trees around, around the lines. And then, you know, I didn't really notice it at first, but then I stopped seeing that. And then when the fires started to get worse and worse and more predictable each year, I started to think, wait a minute, where are those line crews I used to always see out doing work ahead of the, the windy season and, and the hot season? And, and then you start, you know, backtracking it, looking at legislation like you're talking about, looking how the Sierra Club has behaved, looking at how legislation has had struggled so much to, to keep this sort of um, stewardship happening. I mean, stewardship of the land is one of those things that's biblical it's biblical for humans that you know regardless of what your your you know your your creeds and all that religions are i mean we can probably agree even in natural law that stewardship of the land is a human task so um we've got a headline inbound here but on the other side of the headline i want you to expand if you would on why the onus um should be on the population of california to pay for these mistakes. That seems like the wrong way to go. We'll pick up right there after this headline with today's News Talk TNT Radio. Now, I've got news for you. Give me the news. Give it to me. Give me the news. TNT Radio News. <laughs> news flash. For TNT Radio News, this is James O'Neill. Secretary of State Antony Blinken appeared to wince and shake his head when President Biden referred to China's President Xi Jinping as a dictator Wednesday potentially upending months of tireless diplomacy to rebuild relations between the two countries. A war of stances and narratives has broken out in the global media after India's crackdown and pro-Palestinian protests. Some reports say the ban represents a foreign policy shift in an attempt to protect India's relationship with Israel. For all the latest community events, rallies, marches, festivals, and fundraisers happening near you, visit the What's On Events calendar on the TNT Radio website at tntradio.live. Stay in touch on TNT Radio. That's right. TNTradio.live is where you find us, and BrianDolly.com is where you can keep up with Senator 
Brian Dolly. That's B-R-I-A-N-D-A-H-L-E.com. Senator, what do you think about that? I mean, this this is clearly frustrating a lot of Californians. It's obviously frustrating you. Why should it be on Californians to pay for these mistakes? Well, we have no choice at the end of the day, unfortunately, because the lack of actually the PUC doing their job in the last 15 years uh, put us in this position. And so when you're in that position, you are stuck because they went into bankruptcy and basically you're at the whim of a judge at that point. Uh, so I did vote for some legislation that would make PG&E uh, be able to stay in business. And that's because I don't want the government running the, the utility, which was the next best, supposedly next best thing. And I don't know anything the government does uh, that's good that I can that I can point to that's really that great when it comes to like operating a business. So we're here where we're at. But at the end of the day, you know, we need to make sure. And that's where I put pressure and I do it only by uh, avenues such as this right here is to speak because I'm just a watchman on the wall here. I don't have any power because I'm in the minority party. Um, it doesn't mean our, my policies aren't good. The policy needs to be, look, we should insulate lines versus undergrounding them. We need to make sure we drive that cost down, get the job done and hold, make sure they're doing the job. The very first year that they came out of bankruptcy, they were supposed to do, I can't remember, 5,000 miles or some number. And they did like 5% of it, even though the rates were up. That's where the PUC has the power and the governor to put pressure on these utilities to make sure they're getting the job done and at, at a rate and a cost that isn't going to drive uh, the cost of electricity up. So that's where I come in and try to push back is the fact that you know, the government doesn't do anything uh, in, in, inexpensively. They do it. Everything costs the most that the, the government does. And unfortunately, those of us in private business know we, you have to be competitive. There is no competition for the government. That's the problem. Uh, so we can only hold their feet to the fire. But you need to appoint good people and need to have business minded people that understand that uh, we can drive those costs down and save the ratepayers of California uh, some pain. Yeah, and it seems to me that a lot of people are uh, a lot of people that are that are doing very well are are getting out of California. A lot of companies are splitting and all this. I mean, so that's only going to make matters worse. And it seems, I mean, you know, the, uh, the 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 underground cables. When I lived in Atlanta, we had a whole bunch of those. But why don't they just say, okay, you know what, for new construction, we're going to do that? Are they are they saying what we want to do is we want to replace all of our, our 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 cables now? We want to replace all of those. And in order to do that, we're going to jack your bill up by 26%. That's not small potatoes, Senator. That's a lot of cash. No, and so uh, absolutely. It, it, we, there are some areas of California where we really have high winds and we have uh, vegetation issues where we should do some undergrounding. But for the majority of those thousands and thousands of miles of line, we need to, do, we need to insulate where we have the second tier. And then the third tier, leave them the way they are right now. Just make sure we manage the brush uh, and do the right thing. But at the end of the day, um, you know, California is not just faced with PG&E's problems. We have um, central procurement, which was a bill that was passed this year that is uh, going to allow the California Utilities Public Utilities Commission to put a fee on every single ratepayer in California. It doesn't matter if you're in SMUD, PG&E, Southern Cal Edison, and that five to six dollars a month on your bill is going to go to fund offshore wind uh, so that we can produce all this energy we're supposed to produce to have you know electric cars by 2035. We need to generate about 25 gigawatts. That's 25,000 megawatts. That's 10 Diablo Canyon power plants built in California. And they say they're going to do it with offshore wind. Hasn't been studied well. 
They looked at it in Norway. They're abandoning it in Norway. Wells are washing up on the shore. They're killing birds by the millions. Uh, you can kill birds by the millions if you're a windmill, but if you're a, a, a forester who uh, you know displaces a spotted owl, uh, you're you're going to jail. Uh, so that's the yeah. kind of policies we have coming out of California. Yeah, I, yeah absolutely. It's just progressive idiocy is what that is. I mean, that's just progressive yeah. idiocy. Yeah, it's pretty uh. amazing. Um, let me shift gears slightly here, Brian. Um, on Sunday, Jake Sullivan, National Security Advisor, told CNN that Biden wanted practical ways to show that meeting with Xi Jinping can help defend American interests and also deliver progress on the priorities of the American people. Uh, some of the things that came out of that meeting were apparently agreements to help curb the fentanyl uh, precursor problem that we have. Um, what are your thoughts, you know, kind of now that this is uh, wrapped up, what do you think, what are your takeaways from Xi Jinping's uh, visit to San Francisco? Look, words are cheap in, in this arena and they don't really add up to action. And I am very frustrated with uh, somebody who's worked on fentanyl in California 500 uh, innocent people are dying every month in the state of California. We did legislation last year to actually, it's called Alexandria's Law. It's bipartisan. Over 21 senators or 27 senators signed on to the bill. It couldn't get out of public safety here. Look, at the end of the day, I don't care what China says. They're going to ship fentanyl in here. They're going to make money off of us. We need to shut our borders down and prosecute people who are dealing fentanyl in California. You know, the governor went, made his trip over there. Uh, and maybe he should take up uh, basketball as his new, uh, you know, something he's good at. He, that's the only thing I saw him do was make a shot there. But at the end of the day, we need to close our border down to fentanyl. We need to make crime, crime again in California. We've dumbed down crime. You can, you know, rape a woman that's over uh, 18 years of age and it's uh, not even a felony. We got to get tough on crime. We got to stop these, this fentanyl from coming into California. It doesn't matter what they say. It won't change until we do something different in California. Yeah, no kidding. Um, what do you uh, suspect, um, Senator Dolly, uh, as far as Gavin Newsom goes? Uh, the other day, Biden seemed to praise him and basically said uh, oh, he'd do he'd do great at the job I'm looking to get. So uh, which I don't we, we were joking about it earlier. I don't know if Biden knows he's president yet, but he is. But it sounds like Gavin Newsom, even though he says he's not, he's running a campaign for presidency, isn't he? Yeah, I brought that up in my debate with the governor when I was running for governor and said, you know, I said the same thing. I'm not sure Biden, uh, he's the president. They asked me, you know, do you believe he's the president? Yes, uh, but I'm not sure he knows uh, full time that he's on the job. Look, there's no doubt about it. Anybody that has a set of eyes and ears can see that this governor has positioned himself to run. He's waiting for the opportunity to step in. And, you know, the polls are crashing on President Biden every day. Um, and we know that uh, their their party is uh, freaking out, to be the, to say the least, that they need to, to make a change because Americans uh, know that we are not safe in the world, that our uh, president is not capable of doing his job, unfortunately, and that there's going to be a change. Now, I think that, you know, Gavin Newsom has, has always been an opportunist. He's never really fixed anything. If you look at uh, San Francisco, it was 2008. He said he was going to solve homeless in 10, 10 years. And here we are. 2023 and it's you know they had to clean it up a little bit for the elites to come into town but he hasn't really done anything but he's he's definitely a smooth talker he's definitely uh, got the look and uh you know he's waiting for his opportunity to run for president and i think uh he sees an opportunity right now uh yeah, yeah. 
And unfortunately, the the climate here in America is one where smooth talkers and opportunists seem to really take advantage of uh, the public. All right, Senator Brian Dolly uh, again, BrianDolly.com. That's Brian with an I, D-A-H-L-E.com is where you keep up with the Senator. We want to thank you for rejoining us here on the show. Always love to have you on the show and already looking forward to your next visit. Awesome. I look forward to it, too. Thanks for having me. All right. Uh, take care, Senator. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. With his expert analysis and opinion, this is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Who says legislation isn't a contact sport? We nearly came to blows today in the United States Senate as Senator Mark Wayne Mullen of Oklahoma squared off against Sean Butterbean O'Brien, the general president of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. O'Brien had been very critical of Mullen on X, tweeting, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made. Just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be. Quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings. You know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy. Mark Wayne Mullen read that tweet and said, here is a place, now is a time you want to go? And Butterbean said, let's go. Cooler heads like Bernie Sanders intervened. They weren't going to come to blows anyway. This wasn't quite the caning of abolitionist Republican Senator Charles Sumner by pro-slavery Democrat Senator Preston Brooks of South Carolina in 1856, but it was good to see a Republican show a little spine, show a little enthusiasm for his position. Now, if we can only get Mark Wayne as focused on election integrity efforts and on budgetary issues as he is on posts on X. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Challenging the consensus and debunking the narrative, this is Viewpoint. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has slammed the unprecedented infusion of private money into America's elections, calling the tactics of the Center for Technology and Civic Life, CTCL, and the Center for Election Innovation and Research, CEIR, totally unacceptable. DeSantis stated, so Zuckerberg, he spent over $400 million through these, quote, non-profits to, quote, help with election administration. But what they would do is they would require certain things to be done, like mass mail balloting, ballot harvesting, and they would focus on partisan voter turnout, basically. That was totally unacceptable. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson doubted whether Mark Zuckerberg's highly partisan 2020 election spending was even legal. Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky commenting about an investigation by the Wisconsin legislature into Mark Zuckerberg's election influence asked, did Mark Zuckerberg purchase the Wisconsin presidential election? Issues that dominate America. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, it looks like Jeff Bezos is pulling up his tent stakes. He's splitting the state of Washington and heading down to the Sunshine State. That would be Florida. And not coincidentally, uh, he is also fleeing the brand new capital gain tax that the uh, uh, that the Supreme Court greenlit this past summer. Uh, it's bad news for Florida, some, some might think. Maybe he'll bring jobs, who knows. But the real question is, what's behind this move? Is it simply because he's got multi-million dollar mansions in Miami uh, or uh, maybe his girlfriend loves the the sun, the sunshine and the tans. Freedom Foundation has been uh, leading the charge against the capital gains tax with a lawsuit filed uh, before it was even signed into law. 
And now Freedom Foundation's Director of Labor Policy, Maxford Nelson, joins us now to discuss all this. Well, Maxford, welcome back to the show. First of all, good to see you, sir. Um, thanks for joining us. What do you think is going on behind Bezos's bagging out of, uh, of, of D.C.? Is it all about money? I mean, it's smacks of hypocrisy, uh, perhaps. Well, it's, you know, no, nobody knows the true motivations for Jeff Bezos moving from Seattle to Miami other than uh, than him. Uh, and the public indications that he's given have to do with things like being closer to his parents and family. Uh, but the timing is, at, if nothing else, at least a little bit coincidental. And here we are now in the state of Washington. Uh, finally, uh, progressives have gotten their dream of inching us towards uh, a statewide progressive income tax. Uh, and the, the camel's nose under the tent, so to speak, was this 7% tax on capital gains income that the uh, state legislature passed about two years ago and that has been uh, implemented now. Uh, that's, uh, that's a big change for Washington's tax climate. We've historically touted the fact that we are an income tax-free state, and there weren't that many of them. Uh, you know, you go back five, 10 years, there's more than there used to be now. Uh, and Florida is one of those states that does not tax personal income, including income from the sale of stocks and other capital assets. Uh, but Washington state is moving in the opposite direction than most of the rest of the country, which is trying to decrease its tax burden and become more competitive. Uh, unfortunately, the progressives dominating our politics here are moving as fast as they can in the opposite direction and trying to make us a high tax, uh, low economic activity state. And we've been warning for years that the end result is going to be, as it has been in any other state that's pursued a big government, high tax, high spending uh, agenda, is to drive people away, drive people out who have resources, who are business owners or business creators and entrepreneurs and otherwise successful and contributing to the economic well-being of the state, we're going to drive those people out. Maybe that's what happened with Jeff Bezos. Certainly it's happening uh, for other less well-known Washingtonians around the state who are, who are looking for greener climates elsewhere. And, and what's the other side of that argument? What does the state say they will gain by raising the, the, the capital gains so high? I mean, as you've correctly pointed out, this tends to drive big businesses away. This is a known factor. So what's, what's the logic uh, by, by Washington here? Well, logic is, is describing it maybe perhaps a little too favorably or, or giving it a little <laughs> bit too much credibility. <laughs> uh, but the the argument, the rhetoric is just pure class warfare. It's it's uh, eat the rich. It's uh, progressive base uh, up in Seattle, which controls increasingly our statewide politics and the elected officials that come out of the greater Seattle area answer to that base. And what the base wants is is class war warfare. It's old, old school Marxism. Tax the rich. And if we flee to another state, We'll, we'll find them there eventually. Workers of the world unite. You know, that's that's literally the mindset just playing out in terms of, of economics. And I, I had to laugh. You know, there's a progressive uh, nonprofit group counterpart to, to the Freedom Foundation, I suppose you could say, uh, that commented recently on, on Bezos' departure. And, and their take basically was, it's no big deal. He's one guy. We shouldn't make our public policy decisions based on the uh, uh, on the preferences of one person. Well, okay, sure, true as far as it goes, but two years ago and still today, what are you advocating for? Taxes on not everybody, taxes on, oh, just this tiny sliver of people at the top. You know, they're the ones we want to target. They're the ones who need to pay for all of these things. Uh, well, 
how sound is your public policy if you're going to target these couple people who are highly mobile and highly able to just take their money elsewhere? Sounds like you're making your public policy based on one or two or three or a small handful of people. So don't be uh, don't be surprised when they pick up stakes and leave. I, I it's not like Bezos is uh, you know just some schlub down at the local pub. I mean, this guy is the third, second or third richest man in the world. That's a I, he could fund a country by himself. I would think that him leaving. Now, is he taking jobs with him or is this just a, a residential move? What's 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 that? Does he have any companies that are based in uh, Washington state? that are going to be pulling up stakes. Well, Amazon has a heavy presence in the Seattle area, uh, at least historically it has. Although, you know, even in recent years, we've been seeing Amazon launching uh, secondary headquarters in places like Virginia and other parts of the country that, again, are more economically hospitable than Washington state is on uh, trend to be. Uh, so Amazon still has a significant footprint here. I'm sure it will for quite some time. But these these kinds of change, residency changes happen overnight. Jeff Bezos, one day will be a resident of Washington. The next day, he'll be a resident of Florida. But the economic impacts in terms of business footprint and jobs and employees, uh, the, the change is no less real, but it plays out over a longer time frame. And so we, we're already seeing signs of the heavy industries, uh, the, the anchor big employers in Washington State, Boeing, Amazon, and others starting to move aspects of their operations elsewhere, or if they have new operations that they want to start, they don't start them here. They start them in South Carolina. They start them in Florida. They start them in other places that are that are more hospitable. So it, uh, th this type of policy is absolutely going to have an impact on jobs, on economic activity, on startups. Uh, the tech industry, again, historically has been very strong in Seattle, big startup culture, but this kind of targeted capital gains uh, proposal is really going to hit a lot of these tech innovation companies very, very hard that rely on stock options for their employees as a as a, a key component of their compensation. Uh, and that's that's going to have long term consequences for our state. Now, we're trying to fight this uh, and, and we've been battling it in court so far. Uh, at the moment, we are asking the U.S. Supreme Court to intervene. Uh, because Washington state uh, policymakers are so greedy, they're not content just to craft a tax that applies to uh, economic activity within Washington borders. The way they've, they've uh, structured this capital gains income tax, it could apply to the sale of capital assets held by Washington residents outside Washington state. So essentially Washington wants to reach across its borders to tax economic transactions that are occurring in other parts of the country and that may be subject to tax in that jurisdiction. Well, this presents all sorts of uh, uh, federal commerce clause issues because the individual states are not supposed to be dictating to other states <laughs> how the economic activity over there is supposed to happen and take place. Uh, regulating that interstate commerce and, and economic activity is a power that's reserved to Congress, not state legislature. So we'll see if the Supreme Court takes the case, uh, but uh, unless the Supreme Court saves Washington from itself, uh, I think we'll see more and more uh, high profile individuals and businesses start looking for places other than Washington to do business. Oh, wow. And it seems so punitive. It just seems yeah. so punitive. It's similar to California, too. It seems like they're taking the California model. I mean, uh, not a lot of foresight there because, uh, I mean, you see the exodus out of California now just of everyday citizens, and, you know, that should be a clue. But building on what you just said right there, 
Um, there's another headline here, an op-ed actually. Bezos isn't the first and won't be the last wealthy American fleeing this tax-hungry state. And you mentioned the the startup culture there. You know, I've 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 spent time in Seattle. I know people that worked in um, you know so-called startups and also some of the big giants over there. And I've heard various commentary about the way employees are treated there when, as you know, uh, as a company builds from startup to you know IPO into famous company and all that. Um, but what what's at stake here? How many um, businesses do you expect uh, Washington could lose? I mean, what what are some of the other big staples there that are now maybe in jeopardy, considering if they're looking at their uh, you know their upcoming taxes? Well, it's uh, it's really hard to speculate about particular individuals and companies uh, and to know how that's going to play out. Just anecdotally. Uh, we have relationships with conservatives across the state, a number of, of which have decided already we're just we're, we're done. We're going elsewhere. And, and it's not even just people that are affected by this tax. As, as it's structured, the capital gains proposal that's in force in Washington today doesn't affect a large number of individuals. But the rest of the state is watching very closely. And they rightly recognize that this is just step one. Uh, and that there will be a broadening uh, uh, of the tax. Uh, there will be an increase in the rate. There always is. Anytime you create a new tax structure and tax mechanism, uh, the trend over time is to increase the scope, increase the number of people who are subject to that income tax, uh, and to increase the rate of tax. And so uh, people see the writing on the wall, whether they're affected right now or not, and are moving to other places. Now, exactly how many and who over time, uh, of course, is is anybody's guess, but I think the data is very clear. Uh, and I, for, I forget who uh, who said it, but I've, I've heard the expression before and it, it is absolutely correct. Income taxes don't redistribute income, they redistribute people. And whatever the rhetoric and the intent of the left, and again, their, their Marxist views, their tax the rich mentality, fine, you can believe all that all you want, but unless you're willing to restrict people's ability to leave, to, to move freely among the 50 states, uh, then all you're going to accomplish with your targeted punitive tax proposal is to push people elsewhere and to deprive the state of that revenue that they would have been paying under the existing tax structure and to offload the cost of, and that tax burden down to the middle class. And again, eventually that's that trajectory played out over a long enough period produces situations like we have in Illinois, like we have in California, Washington's not that far along the trajectory, but we're following the footsteps of these other states that are that are on the path to insolvency. It's very unfortunate. Washington has so many advantages going for it, and we just keep shooting ourselves in the foot. It does. It it it's just seems so short sighted, vindictive, punitive. Every I, I mean, I and eventually you are going to run out of these mega wealthy uh, folks like Bezos. They're going to split. They're going to see the writing on the wall and say, you know what? Screw this pound of sand. I'm out of here. And I'm going to go pound sand in Florida where I don't get taxed on my income. <laughs> right. And then, and then the next level of rich are these little Marxists on college campuses that are, that are screaming for this kind of stuff. Isn't Seattle, the city that's got the, is it Seattle or is it Portland, Oregon that has a statue of, uh, of Marx. I mean, I, I, I saw, it, I don't know. I, I get those Northwestern uh, communities kind of mixed up. They're both Marxist, but I, I just don't understand why they don't see this for what it is and what it's going to do. Because if I was going to open, say I was going to drop a million dollars or $10 million on a new business, 
I've already marked that state off my list. There it goes. So those are the numbers you'll never be able to calculate. The businesses yep. that you chased away before they ever opened. Uh, yep. It's it's absurd. It, it is. And it's it's very predictable. It's not like we don't have case studies or that we can't go look at, at other states' experiences and learn from that. Uh, I don't I don't when it comes to lawmakers, I don't know if this is a case where they are true believers uh, and uh, that they can burden the free enterprise system uh, to no end. And it will just bear whatever uh, costs are imposed on it. And, and entrepreneurs will continue chugging along as they always have. I don't know if they truly believe that or if they're just hostage to their their political base, which believes that the the progressive college students that you reference. Uh, uh, and actually, for the record, it's the statue of Lenin, and it is in Seattle. Now, there may be—I wouldn't be surprised if there are statues of Marx in Portland. <laughs> but uh, the, the famous statue in Seattle is uh, is of uh, Lenin. Um, but it's uh, it's it's very unfortunate. I think it comes from a place of ignorance. It comes from a place of uh, uh, jealousy. It comes from uh, just a, a, again that class divide, that that hunger for class warfare. Uh, that is so commonly inculcated in higher education uh, and among those uh, uh, with higher education. And uh, that's it's very unfortunate. That's not how the world works. Uh, people thrive when they are rewarded for uh, the, with the fruits of their labors and when they have incentives and accountability and when they have to compete in order to succeed. That is what drives growth. Uh, the moment you start uh uh, engaging in punitive economic regulation of economic activity, you are going to get less productivity, less economic activity, and everyone will be poorer as a result. And I remember when uh, when I was young, it was like, you want to be successful, go to college, right? Learn some skills, get a career, uh, work your way up the ladder so that you can get into those higher tax brackets. It used to be, okay, great. If I'm getting taxed at over a six-figure amount, I'm on the path. Or if, hey, I hit that 250K amount, awesome. I mean, that's a lot of money to have to pay, but you're pretty successful at that point. But I guess the new indoctrination methodologies by our higher education systems are teaching people to just want to rely on the government for the rest of their lives. But it's like, why even go at that point? If you're just there campaigning to have everybody rely on the government, uh, maybe you should just not take out those student loans. I don't know. Maybe they're not planning on paying them back, or maybe they think Biden will pay it off for them. Uh, but and you know, we're we're down to about a minute left. Uh, your final thoughts? Well, considering it's, all this. Uh, the, the other point that I have to make, uh, in, just in conclusion here, is you, you can't separate this debate from uh, the influence, the institutional interests at work here. Washington State is one, like many others, that has become dominated by public employee union interests. And what is the financial incentive that these organizations have? Teachers unions, state employees unions, they want bigger government. They want more expensive government. They want more public employees. They want better paid public employees. They want less accountability for performance uh, of public employees across the board. And so they, these organizations, the teachers union in Washington has been working for over 100 years, I kid you not, to get an income tax imposed in Washington state. And those are the interests that have the money and the political muscle behind these kinds of progressive economic policies that we're seeing. And until we're able to solve that problem, the control, the vice grip that these entities have over the policymaking and the political process in states like Washington, 
we're only going to see the fiscal situation, the economic situation continue to decline. But Freedom Foundation is not just fighting the capital gains tax and the symptom of the problem. We're also fighting uh, the influence that these government unions have and, and trying to push back against that as well. Good that's that's Excellent. what needs to happen in order to see things change. Yeah, yeah, we absolutely need that. All right, Maxford Nelson, Freedom Foundation's Director for the Labor, of Labor Policy. Thank you for joining us here on State of the Nation. We really appreciate your input and we'll look forward to speaking with you again real soon. Stay tuned. Misty Winston coming up next on TNT Radio.